0: Well, all right. We're over in Genesis chapter six. Said we were getting into the flood of Noah. Some of the things that go on around that. We'll actually get as far as chapter six and seven. The flood will go a little bit further than that, but we'll get as far as as all this and looking at the first run of the giants. In Genesis chapter six, verse one, it begins. Now it came to pass. When men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. Now we put it here in your your outline, when? When does all this begin? When men began to multiply on the earth, when did men begin to multiply on the earth? (laughs) Back in Adam and Eve's day, didn't it? This is not pointing to any particular strange day chapter 4 chapter 5 and chapter 6 all loop back to the beginning with Adam and Eve. And this does as well. So when when man began to multiply on the face of the earth Adam and Eve of course started that process. And we have that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves to all of all whom they chose. So there was an interaction that went on here with the fallen angels and the uh, daughters of men. Now we put put this in your outline, that as far as we know, there are no female angels. All the angels that we ever hear about in the Word of God are, they're all male. So there might be some significance to that, that when they look upon the earth and God had created of men, men and, and women but they decided that the females looked pretty good too. And that may be what it was that uh, brought them on in. It certainly was part of Satan's plan to pervert the uh, bloodline. We know that from from God, that the idea was to pervert the bloodline so that the seed of the woman would not be pure. And that was his goal. Because if Jesus was born of uh, an impure person, not uh, 100% human, then he would not be able to be 100% human and all God and be able to bring the uh, be the mediator for us. So that was the idea, was the, to pervert this. So it is possible that Satan came with the plan and used it as from an enticing standpoint. Maybe everybody else didn't know the overall plan, but certainly Satan did if they all didn't. And he may just have played on the fact that, hey, aren't those gals down there beautiful? Uh, now, you have to understand, we sometimes can read over this verse and, and skip some of these things. So we have to understand the scenario. Uh, there's been a whole, there's a whole lot of uh, interaction, or uh, not interaction, but a lot of discussion that comes up in in different times and in different um, churches and in different scenarios between interracial marriages, whether they should happen and all that sort of stuff. How I many all heard these kind of discussions and all that? You know, and, and God doesn't want them and all this sort of stuff. And and we all know, you all know, we've, we've talked to you through the Word of God that that's all hogwash. Mm-hmm. That Moses had uh, one of the first interracial. Marriages in in the Old Testament. And God was okay with it. If God was okay with it back then, He's certainly okay with it now. And there's Mm -hmm. nothing about that at all. And we are all descendants of Noah. Mm -hmm. And in turn, we're all descendants of Adam. But certainly we all go back to the time of Noah. So uh, any interaction is is fine as long as it's among the race of men. Mm -hmm. But this is not among the race of men. Mm -hmm. This is people that are interacting with the race of fallen angels. And that is the, that's the interaction that's not good here. Now, the fallen angels... Now, we, we know that uh, we, we have instances in the Word of God where the righteous angels appear before men. And they do look awe-inspiring, don't they? They, they don't they? don't They look like men, but they don't look like average men. They look like impressive men. And they always command a certain amount of awe and respect amongst anyone who sees them. So, we have to assume that the same thing is true with the fallen angels. That there's, there's going to be something noticeably different. They're bigger. They're stronger. Something about them is, is there. But the thing about it is is the fallen angels, as far as we can tell, since the righteous angels are not this way, the fallen angels are not 20 feet tall. Because the righteous angels aren't 20 feet tall. When Gabriel and and all these other different ones show up on the earth. We don't have any time when they're, they're spoken about as being 20 and 25 and 30 feet tall. But we know that King Og, who is one of them, and he's uh, after quite a while of, of this being diluted, his bed was 20 f- feet tall, I believe it was, and, and so he had to be pretty close to that. So if you think, if you take us puny men, and you know a good-sized man is uh, maybe 7 foot, something like, like that, that's, that's a good-sized man. Average-sized man, you know, uh, six six foot, six four, somewhere in that neck of the woods, is a, and that's still a, a, a pretty tall guy, but it's not twenty feet. So it isn't like you're mixing a, you know, in order to get to a twenty foot individual, you would think you'd have to mix a uh, thirty or forty foot person with a six or seven foot person, you know, and then we're, for the for the male to come out to be that tall. So, But that's not really what you're dealing with here. Because that just wouldn't work either. But somehow these these guys are different. They're going to appear to be a little bit different. If there is a, a, a stigma in this age about interracial marriages and it came into debate, don't you think there had to be some kind of debate about marrying angels back then? It didn't just say that they came to them. It says they took wives of them. And back in those days, you know, there was quite a procedure to take a wife. You had to get the permission of the dad. And I'm sure the mom was involved there as well. Moms always are. So you had to get all that permission and and things had to be going on with that. And and then, of course, to take a wife, you had to have a house. And so there must have been some dwelling that was there. And and then these uh, children are born to them. Now, this is where Greek mythology comes from. Greek mythology has its roots in truth. However, they went a little weird on it because they have uh, male and female gods and such like that. And as far as we know, it is only the sons of of God who came down to the daughters of men. And they produced probably males and females. So you probably had some females of extraordinary size as well as some males of of extraordinary size. But the females apparently aren't talked about a whole lot. Either that or else there just weren't any born. And I don't know which one it was. I would assume they just weren't talked about but, I don't know. I mean, if you're getting a 20-foot male out of there, I mean, even a 15, 16-foot female is something to be contended with, you know? <laughs> I mean, there's some gals out there who could, uh, you don't want to meet them in a dark alley. They'd take you down faster than anything. It isn't just a deal that, you know, if you're a man, you're superior. There's a whole lot of women out there have been well-trained in the arts of warfare and battle and combat and such like that, and um, they could take just about anybody any guy down. And It's all about her training and and the, the things that you you go on with that. So if you have a larger than normal female, I think that she would be a formidable foe against any of the men of the of that day. But for some reason we don't have them spoken about in the Word of God. Now again there aren't too many spoken of. There's only a handful of them. So it's not like there was a whole. There was a few kings and a few prominent ones, and then towards the end we have Goliath and all his his brothers uh, mentioned and, and such things like that. So. We don't have a whole lot of that, but I want you to get caught into the scenario of taking the wife. That these folks, it had to become known that they were not of this race. And the moms and dads had to agree to that, that marriage union going on. To this thing happening. More than likely, some of these women that are involved in this are either direct daughters of Adam and Eve... Or granddaughters, and you got to wonder how much Adam and Eve were involved in saying no. Now our thought would be: this is, these are people who who um, walk with God. Surely they would say no. But there is something inside this section of scripture that will bring bring to your mind that um, uh, Adam may have had some trouble. He had trouble at the tree, but he may have had trouble later on in life too. And we'll we'll look into that. But the parents here. Are in, it's, it's not like you know the, the the sons of God are coming down and just uh, by, by force taking the women and having children. It doesn't seem to be that way. They're taking wives, and somehow the the people are involved with this. So then you have descendants that come from there, and they of course intermix all in, in there. And these are, are you can tell who they are. It seems that when the angelic blood and the human blood mix, that something. Weird happens <laughs> and you have maybe i don't know an eight foot nine foot seven foot whatever foot angel and the and the female whoever however big she was, and then outcome eventually I don't know how big they are when they're born <laughs> they're not going to be going be so big when they're born, but they're going to grow into twenty foot or so males you gotta know that's not normal, and then somewhere along the line people have to agree to have these abnormal people marry into their family. and it, So this is a well-known thing in that day. This is not something that's under the carpet. Now, I wanted to take time, and I didn't get to do that today, to uh, go through the book of Enoch and just uh, begin to scan it or search it or do something in that neck of the woods to see if, if Enoch had any prophecies about the giants. But I am pretty sure that God has always had his prophets come and speak about the evil and what to avoid. And certainly, God would have sent if it was not Enoch, you know it had to have been someone who would have come down and said, thou shalt not bring them into your family. You will keep yourself pure from that race. You will not let that race of blood commit. If you do, your descendants will surely die. That had to come out. Because of God, God has never allowed a judgment to come upon the face of the earth that He has not forewarned about. Even with the flood, He forewarned it with Enoch. He forewarned it with the birth of Methuselah. And that was a thousand years before. God forewarned about the flood. If the flood is coming, there has to be a reason for why the flood is coming and the reason has to be spoken of. And so for all these years, the reason is spoken of And the people don't get the message. And the reason the flood is coming, well we get to that here in a little bit. So again, the daughters may have been appealing. It may have been because they were appealing that they came down, or it may have been because of Satan's orders. But we do know that those who left their, those angels who left their domain to do what they should not have done were locked up. Though we covered that in the revelation series. They were locked up. And we know that there was a second batch of them that did the same thing, and they were locked up. And after that, apparently, uh, Satan couldn't talk anybody else into it. I'm not getting locked up. So, let's go on ahead. That's uh, two verses down. We have a few more to, to get going on here. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, and his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. Now, if we just take that verse at face value, it seemed that man should live on the earth for how long? Does that happen? No, it does not. It does not happen before the flood. It does not happen after the flood. You go from eight, 900 year periods, dropping down to 400, 300, and very quickly dropping to 30, 40, and 60 years. And there's still not 120. Even today, are we guaranteed 120 years? Thank God. <laughs> now, 75 or somewhere in that neck of the woods until you're satisfied, it says in the, in the Word of God. So, we're obviously not getting the right meaning out of this verse because that's not what's happening. But it's, it actually reads this way. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive or shall not reside or shall not abide. Either one, reside or abide. You can translate that either way. This word is never translated strive except for here. My spirit shall not abide with man forever. Except that's not exactly what it says. It says in the literal Hebrew now. My spirit shall not abide with the Adam forever. It's actually speaking of the Adam. For he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. What this verse is saying is, when God comes down and presents this, my spirit, when he says these words, my spirit shall not strive with man forever. Adam was at an age that God said, I will give you one hundred and twenty more days. Or one hundred and twenty more years. So that's about how much time has gone on while all this stuff with the giants has been happening. Adam is well alive when all this stuff is happening. And it may be that he puts it this. I don't know. I've, I've read some folks who say that this way and I, I can see where they're coming from. My spirit shall not abide with man, with Adam forever. For he is indeed flesh, or he has gone in the way the flesh has. Yet his days shall be 120 years. It may be that God is saying, I'm giving you 120 years to repent and get right. And after that, you're done. But Adam did not guard the garden. And apparently, he did not guard his own family because the angels came and took wives and take hostages. They took wives. So apparently, someone had to bless it. And someone had to say, this is a good thing. And give their daughters into this marriage. There were giants on the earth. The word there, uh, giants, I believe I defined that in your, in your outline. Uh, it means fallen or mighty ones. Fallen or mighty ones. And so, uh, they were, they were known to be stronger than regular men. They were seen to be something different. And yet they were still able to come in and to take wives. And this apparently happened one time. There was one group of these guys that came on down and took wives. And then you dealt with their descendants from that point on. It was not a continually ongoing thing. There was a group of them. They came down. They took wives. They polluted the race. And then they pretty much stood back after that. Because the, the wives died, but the uh, fallen angels wouldn't have died. <laughs> because they're still, still going on. But of course the giants did die as well. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward. Speaking of two times that this event occurred. There were giants in those days, the days before the flood and afterwards, the days after the flood. So there were two times that the giants came upon the earth. This is the first. Remember that David is doing battle with the giants. Israel comes into a land of the giants, but they're all perished in the flood. Every giant perishes in the flood. In this, in this particular flood, they all go. So the, act, the angels come back in the second time do what they did here in this chapter. When the sons of God came to the daughters of men and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So after they agreed to these these creatures coming on down and uh, having sons and possibly daughters as well with uh, with their daughters, and they saw the offspring, they agreed to have the offspring marry into their families and more. So that now this is talking about all kinds of evil. Apparently they imagined all kinds of evil and did all sorts of evil, and we know what that's like because we have people in this day and age who are doing all kinds of evil, aren't they? But since we have spent so much time on the build up to the sin of the giants and the interaction of the of uh, humans and angels it would seem that at least this evil was part or one of the main parts of what this is focusing on the lord saw that the wickedness of men was great in the earth so the sons of god came down to the daughters of men they had kids They were weird kids. They were abnormal kids. They were not your normal kids. And they said, this is good. These are men of renown. And they respected those men. Even though more than likely the Word of God had come to them and said, you have polluted the race. Anyone born of this race will perish. You will die. And you will be judged. And yet, despite that, men continued to give their daughters to these offspring, disobeying the Word of God. So I just want you to get caught up up in a scenario. It's not like this event happened and then life just went on and and no one really realized what was going on. You saw where these people were. They were all over the place. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So they continued to give themselves over to evil. Then not only this evil, but other evils as well. Whatever suggestions come in that are evil, they just pursue after it. They just go after it. They just keep on going. And God says, Man, I am... He, he regrets that He put these men on the earth. Because God took, t- took the earth from a place of judgment, beautified the whole thing, fixed it all up, put these folks in there, and then they messed it up. It would be the same thing as if you bought a beat-up old house. Fixed it up. Made it so it's brand new. Made it sparkle. Fixed the lawn painted the whole thing, new carpets, new furniture, and rented out the tenants and they put holes in the walls and beat up on the grass and tore out the flowers and spilled stuff on the carpet and burned things and and just uh, messed up all the appliances. And you come back in and this thing's a mess. What would you say? I regretted that I put these folks in this house. They have sure done a, a number on this house. And you'd have regret for having done so. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So there's a reason why Noah finds grace. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. And that is the key word. Noah is perfect in his generations. Which means of all the people on the face of the earth, Noah and his family are the only ones who honored the word that God had said, do not mix your family with those. And he did not do it. Now, I cannot attest that all of Noah's family is perfect. But I can tell you that Noah is and his three sons and their wives are. Noah may have had other sons beside the three. And they may have gone off and rejected the teachings of Noah, rejecting the teachings of his prophets. I don't know that they did, but we know that a whole lot of other people had more kids than what we're told. Noah has three that are with him. It is, and he's an old guy. He's 500 years old when he makes this one. a Seth is, is 98 years when they come out of the ark. He's 98 years old. He's the youngest of them. So that means that Noah had him when he was somewhere around 400. More than likely, he had other kids before that. Now, Shem was the youngest of the three, but it's more than, more than likely he had other ones. And some of those kids may have gone off in their own way, married into you know giants and so forth, and, and they were perverted, and that was it. But Noah his three sons, and wherever they got their daughters from. Don't know where they got their daughters from, but they found three daughters, and they listened to the teachings of Noah. They listened to the things of the prophets, and they said, well, you know, I like that one, but I think she's got giant blood. Mm-hmm. And, and then, Dad, I don't want to, to go that way because I, I know what's been said. You, it, this, ha- this kind of stuff has to go on somewhere Now there. They didn't just find three gals. <laughs> they found three that were perfect in their generations. And they took them as wives. And, and these are the ones. So these are the only ones that are going to go on. These are it. Because they are perfect in a generation. So Noah is not trying to get other people to get on the ark. Now understand this. There may have been some people with some giant blood in them who got saved. The Word of God is not saying that they can't get saved. As far as I know, it doesn't say they can't get saved. Because you, you can't be at fault with what your mom and dad did. And if they repented and, and turned over to God and followed after Him, there's salvation for them as much as there was Noah and Abraham and so forth, but no place on the ark. Because they would go on and pervert the race that would be to come. And thereby stopping salvation from being to come upon the face of the earth. So God had to wipe them all out. If He wanted to preserve mankind, if He wanted to have redemption come in, then all of them must die. And that had to grieve His heart too. That had to make him sad because he's probably, out of a, out of all the ones that are there, there probably are more than just Noah who believe God. Probably. And they have to die. And can you just imagine being on the face of the earth and Noah, you know, over at church on sun, on Sunday. And the church is, uh, has all uh, a bunch of people in it. And they're all listening to um, someone preach or prophesy or do whatever it is that they do in, in those days. Of course, they didn't have the Word of God to teach from. But I'm sure that they had things to pass on and uh, things to, to uh, let know about what happened with Adam and Eve and all that. So they're in there in the meeting and uh, they all realize that the day's getting closer because is in there and he's getting old. <laughs> and they're all lamenting. Are you sure we can't go in with you? Are you sure we can't come along? I don't know that that happened. I'm supposing it did. Because I can't just see that, that Noah's the only one who follows after God. Because even in the days when it seemed to Elijah that he was the only one, God says, i got 7,000 others just waiting to take your place. So you better keep going. So I think more than likely there were more beside Noah. But Noah is the only one who's allowed in the ark. And it's because he loves us that he wouldn't let anyone else in the ark. And because he also loved them. If they did not stop that giant bud from going on, then... Salvation would have been prevented. So that's the reason the the judgment came. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. What's really funny here is the order. The oldest is last. The youngest is first. The reason the youngest is first is because from the youngest comes the line of Christ. It is not that Seth has all, all the only race who believes God. It is that Seth is in line with the Messiah. So his line is the one we follow. Again, remember in the, chapter 5, we only follow those ones that led us up to Noah? Noah was the only one of importance that time, to that point. So Seth is the only one of importance because he's the one who, in um, his descendants, gives birth to the family of Christ. So that's why we follow him. The earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence there through, through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of go forward." Make rooms in the ark and cover it with the inside and outside with pitch. This is how you shall make the, ar- the ark. And we don't really need all the details of the ark, but there is apparently one window on the ark. They don't need anything more than one. And they got to have a place to let the bird out and a place to let the bird in. And that's all that they really need. And we went over, the, you know, we saw that little nice little video clip and talked about all the measurements of the ark, and that was pretty cool. Verse 17, And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you and your sons, your wife and your sons' wives, with you. And of every living thing, of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you that shall be they should be male and female. Of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. So we told you the law that God had put it in the operation early in Genesis was that everything produced after its own and it's still in operation. So we had to bring every kind onto the into the ark. There weren't any of these mixed things. Evolution wasn't halfway through or anything like that. But he's going to destroy whatever whatever lives on the earth and breathes air. Those are the things that are going to die. He doesn't have to bring on any fish. He doesn't have to bring on any germs or microorganisms or anything like that. They're all going to be apparently able to to get on through. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. So can you imagine, besides building the ark, you got to gather food. A whole lot of days worth of food, too. And food for, and food for all the animals. Food for your family. So you got to stock up. There's going to be something there. Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So he did. Could you imagine being on the ark and running out of food? What are you going to do? you can't eat. Those. You can't. <laughs> can't eat what's there. Now, Noah does not. I know it says here in the, in the Scriptures that he took two of every kind on the ark, but he does not take two of every kind on the ark. We get that clarified later. Of course, that's how all the Noah's ark things are done. Two of this and two of that and all that. He does not take two of anything on the ark. So we'll get into into that and thinking, I think we can do it in this chapter. Yeah, we'll go here now. Then the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. And you shall take with you seven each of every clean animal. A male and his female. So how many has he taken? No. Fourteen. Seven each. One male and his female. So that's fourteen. Not two. And not seven. Fourteen. Of every clean animal. That's because they had to eat some of these. So they had to... They have to be populating their population faster than the unclean ones do. Also, seven each of the birds of the air, male and female. So how many birds of the air is he taken? Fourteen. To keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. For after seven more days I will cause it to rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights. And I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him, Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters were on the earth. So Noah, with his sons, his wives, and his sons' wives, went into the ark because of the waters of the earth, of the flood. So we have 14 of every clean animal. How many unclean animals do we have on the earth, on the ark? Four. Four. So there are no two of anything. There is either four, or there is 14. When he says two of every kind, he's talking about a pair male and the female. Because, you know, just the male by himself, no good. Female by herself, no good. We need them both. We want to get this uh, population going again. And so he, uh, he does that. So Noah with his sons, his wife and his sons' wives went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Of clean animals, of animals that are unclean, of birds and of everything that creeps on the earth, two by two they went into the ark to Noah. Now, two by two, that's where we get a whole lot of that, you know, the two by two stuff beside the other chapter. But it's, you know, the male and the female going, but you got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And then the next species. And they just keep on going on. And it came to pass, leave it at verse 10, yeah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, On that day all the fountains of the deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were open and the rain was on the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day Noah and Noah's sons Shem, Ham and Japheth and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind all cattle after their kind every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind and every bird after its kind every bird of every sort and they went into the ark to Noah, two by two of all flesh. So they went into the ark to Noah. It seems from this that they did it on their own. Noah didn't go around hunting them. God called them, certain animals responded, and they marched their way over to the ark. That would have been a sight, wouldn't it? If you had any doubt, this was God. And you can I imagine the neighbors. So come the animals, just heading right over, all in order, too not herding their way into there, two by two. That's because they know how to obey God. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two of all flesh, which is is the breath of life. So that those who entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Now the flood was on the earth forty days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters and the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth and all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed 15 cubits upward and the mountains were covered and all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life. All that was on the dry land died. So we destroyed all living things which were on the face of the earth, or face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. So we come to the question, of course, you know, what caused the flood? What is it that, that, that did this? We're told that the waters rose up 15 cubits. That's about uh, one conversion. I saw that anyway had about 31 or so feet. If you raise the water level, 31 feet, would you cover the mountains? Absolutely not. So we have to understand that verse as either saying 31 feet over the mountains or 31 feet. And so the, the way that to determine that, I, I don't know which way you can determine it. There are a couple of theories, You know, a whole lot of theories on how the flood happened. You do not flood the earth with 40 days of rain. You can have a lot of trauma on the earth with 40 days of rain, but you do not flood the earth with 40 days of rain. There's a number of things that are coming involved with this. And we told you we were going to go over some of these. One of the prevailing thoughts of, of what caused the, the, the flood is again, when we had the the, the, uh, chapter 1, what was up in the air? We had the firmament, which is a dense cloud. It is a whole lot of water. We took all the water that had flooded the earth before and we sucked it up in the atmosphere and then some of it got sucked down into the earth. So it's in two different places. And all God has to do is release both of those things and the entire earth is flooded again. So He could easily do that uh, because that's God. And we have inside here the Scripture that what was put inside the earth came out. The The gates were opened and those things were allowed to, to come out. And um, the rain came on down and we know that after the flood there is no firmament anymore. It's gone. So all that water that was sucked up before that was up in there came down. So that 40 days of rain was basically that stuff coming down. And so it probably was not just a normal rain. We have seen some places, I heard... a. Uh, Uh, Some folks, you know, we think six, seven inches of rain in a day is is good. I've heard some places gotten 30. And if you had that for one day, imagine if you had that kind of rain on a regular basis. That would really be wreaking some havoc. But I don't think that that by itself could cover the mountains. But if you bring into it the water that's under the earth, you could probably do it. Of course, if God wanted to do it that way, He could. But there is another way that there's a theory of the flood is... uh, and and the people who do this, I am not one of those people who does this sort of thing. I don't sit around and study mountains and and such things as that nature. But the people who do say that there is certain scarring left on mountains that shows that there was a great flood upon the earth and the flood was caused by a gigantic wave that circled the earth two and three quarter times. The wave was caused by a very large comet that came towards the earth but did not hit the earth. But it came close enough to the Earth that it got caught in the gravitational pull of the Earth. And as it got caught in the gravitational pull, it acted like the moon. You know how the moon sucks up the water, creates a tide. Well, this created a really big tide. And created a huge wave. And as it sucked this thing up, this wave circled around on the Earth all this time. And uh, as it got close to the Earth, it gets sucked into the, uh, the gravitational pull And it begins to circle around the earth, but as it circles around it, picks up speed. And when it picks up enough speed, it is flung from the gravitational pull of the earth and that is the two and three quarter times that it circles. And once it does that, then the wave that it had pulled up is released and it begins to settle back down and and all that. Now that is one of the theories on the flood. I seem to think that theory would work pretty well because the one thing that Noah does not take on the boat is vegetation. And if you have 115 days of, or 150 days of water on the earth, all the vegetation would die. But the judgment isn't against the vegetation; it's against the things that breathe air. Now, anything that breathes air, all they need to do is be without that air for five, ten minutes, depending upon the species, depending upon what's out there. Now, some can do longer than others, but it doesn't take all that long for us breathing people to, to be done. Now, for a typical human. Five, six minutes is good enough. Uh, ten minutes certainly is enough to do it. But then there's other uh, species out there beside that. This apparently didn't hurt the fish, which always struck me as odd because you have freshwater fish who if you put them into saltwater, die. And you have saltwater fish and if you put them into freshwater, they die quicker. Have you ever seen a saltwater fish put in freshwater? Yeah, I have. In fact, I've done it. Yeah, you think I would do that, right? I, I didn't do it to torture them. I did it to help them. I was trying to help them. I used to keep saltwater fish. And, and one of the things that would attack saltwater fish, how many of you ever remember, anybody ever had a freshwater tank? Goldfish or anything like that? There's a disease that is very common among freshwater fish and it's called Ick. It stands for ichthyophthirius. Ick. So maybe we just call it, Ick. But uh, I thought it was a really cool name. Somehow that name got locked in my head. and You know, it's been years since I studied it. I know how to Pull that out. It's a parasite that attacks the fish, and when you look at the fish, it looks like they're covered with salt. They got salt all over their, their body. And eventually, it will kill them. It will kill them pretty quickly. But for freshwater fish, it's real easy to, to take care of. You have a couple of drops and stuff, you put the drops in, kills the parasite, fish goes on and happy, ever, happy ever after. Not so for saltwater fish. Because if you put that little contaminant into the water, in the saltwater tank, it not only attacks the, the uh, parasite, but it also attacks the very unique bacterial balance that's inside of a saltwater tank, which does not uh, uh, build up as quickly as the freshwater tank. Uh, you have to be real careful if you have a saltwater tank and you keep it. You cannot change more than 10% of the water at a time. You cannot change all your filters at a time. You cannot even have a perfectly clean filter. A perfectly clean filter means your fish will die. Your filter must have a certain amount of dirt and a lot of bacteria. And if you disrupt, disrupt that bacterial flow, your fish are dead. They may still be swimming, but your fish are dead. Power outages are the worst thing for a saltwater enthusiast because if the power is out for any length of time, and it can be anywhere from 6 to 12 hours, the bacteria in the tank die because the filter does not have water running over it. And the lack of water and the lack of food and nutrition going to the bacteria causes them to die. And once they are dead, your fish are still swimming around the tank. The power can come back on, but your fish will be dead in a day or two. And uh, that's all. You, nothing you can do about it. You cannot just put something in the water and have it all go away. You can in fresh water. You cannot do it in salt water. It is a very unique balance. So you can't just take this stuff and put it in there. Uh, so what you have to do is you have to catch the saltwater fish out of the main tank. And then you have to to, uh, you can't actually treat the saltwater fish in a separate tank, but what you have to do first off is give the fish a fighting chance. And so what you do is you establish a little plastic bu- uh, container and all of us saltwater fish enthusiasts would have a sp- plastic container for this. And you put the plastic container in the tank and fill it with fresh water. And you let the temperature become exactly the same as the temperature in the tank. And you test the pH and you test all the things you can about the water. And you make sure that it as closely resembles the tank water as possible. Catch the fish and put the fish inside of the fresh water for 90 seconds. And if you really love the fish, 90 seconds is torture. Not only for you, but for the fish. Because as soon as you put that saltwater fish into the into the fresh water, it does not take more than two or three seconds to see the saltwater fish react and he reacts and he becomes like a dead fish and lays at the bottom of that plastic container barely able to breathe laboring for every breath you see the gills labor back and forth and and all this sort of thing and and you have to sit there and wait i believe it's 90 seconds i don't think i've forgotten that time but for the full 90 seconds at which time then you take the fish out of this water and put him into his own reserve tank and we're going to keep him there for a little bit treat him and then put him back into the big tank and, um, and let that go. So you always had to have a hospital tank as well as your regular tank whenever you had saltwater fish. And the hospital tank had to have a filter going and have everything going on. Now, this all sounds like too much to you, but for saltwater <laughs> enthusiasts, it's like, oh, this is so great. Oh, we had so much fun in doing all this sort of stuff. But the reason that you do that is because the, the fish, though it suffered for 90 seconds and if given any more time, would probably die in that the back, the, the, the parasite dies quicker. And because in the saltwater environment, it's used to that, when you put it into freshwater, it doesn't take long for the parasite to actually explode in the freshwater. You can't see it, but the parasite actually explodes in the 90 seconds. And then you put them in there, and the fish has a fighting chance to come back and be alive. So I've never figured this out. Knowing all this stuff about the the tanks and different things that are going on there, I never figured out how it was that the earth flooded and the freshwater fish are okay, and the saltwater fish are okay, and they all settle back down into the rivers and streams for the freshwater fish, and the saltwater fish all settle back down into the oceans. I don't know how God did it, but that's God. If He can tell, yeah, if He can tell the animals to go in the ark, He can tell the right ones to go into the right places, and the freshwater to be here, and the and that's, you know our, our God is certainly able to do all that sort of stuff and and take care of it. But that's one of the things that God had to take care of in that because freshwater fish don't live where the um, saltwater fish is. And the saltwater fish don't live where the freshwater fish is. They're very different and they react very differently and that's just not going to happen. But God took care of that one. He didn't put that one on Noah. We're going to take care of that one. He also didn't have to take care of any seeds or anything like that. And when he does eventually send the bird out there, the bird does not come back with a plantling. He comes back with a branch from a tree. So it would seem that the tree survived. Generally, trees don't do well being underwater for 150 days. Most trees. <laughs> actually, no trees that I know of do that well. So it seemed to lend itself that a, the giant wave theory is probably correct. But we don't know for sure. What is unique about this, is uh, there's actually people have gone through this, I've seen a video of this before, of someone who went and built a replica of Noah's Ark. And they said the unique thing about the, the structure of Noah's Ark is how stable. It's not made to go fast. But it is made to take abuse. And no matter how much abuse you put on this thing, this thing was made to take it. If it did take any water in, they said, it actually made it more stable. So whatever God did on this thing, I've never gone out there and built one on my own. <laughs> never never felt so uh, enthused to do that, but... The people who have gone out there and you know, they like doing sort of, that sort of thing, um, they've made it up and they said the, that is, that's what it is. Its Unique ability is its stability in the water and with the waves that would be, be going on. So very likely this could be what would cause the flood. If the asteroid or comet did come and it came that close, it would have had a great effect on the firmament. And that is probably what ripped it off. Now one of the things that lends itself to this particular theory is a discovery they had up in the uh, the poles of mammals, frozen, quick frozen, with food even in their mouth. That it seemed that uh, the change was very rapid. And we went from having no poles to a north and a south pole that were extremely cold. And then we had the ice beginning to form. And we have the ice caps at the north and the south. But apparently during Noah's day and before, that was not the case. And so if you've, uh, you ever heard of those going to school with the mammals, you know, the the stuff frozen and all the things are, all the living things are in the north and the south and, and all that sort of stuff. Well, those are the things that are going on. So that's one of the explanations that come from it. Uh, God did something to cause the firmament to be ripped out and to be rained down upon the earth and for the floodwaters in the earth to come on back out and for all this to to transpire. So he did something to cause it. What is neat, though, is if he had to use a comet that came in 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 this particular orbit is that God timed it out to the very day that Noah would have the ark ready. (laughs) To the very year that Methuselah would be born. In the great expanse of space, God had set this comet in a a plan and in a (laughs) motion way before. (laughs) That just blows my mind that God would have had this thing and he knew when it was coming to the day and gave Noah enough time and Noah got busy and got things going and, and got everything ready so that they were all in the ark when the rain came. Because something affected the firmament that caused it to dump the water at the rate they did. Not that there was no rain beforehand. There probably, or there could have been rain before the flood. It just wasn't necessary. There was a mist that watered the earth but there still could have been some rain. So that's one of the prevailing theories on the, on how the flood came. It is very possible that that is the the way that it came. Um, again, it doesn't have to be that way. We can get out there and God said, ah, oh, you're all wrong. It was this way. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone just say, well, that's good. <laughs> We're all right with that one. Mm-hmm. We know in the book of Job, in verse uh, 9 of chapter 38, when I made the clouds its garment and a thick darkness its swaddling band, it seems to be talking about a thing in the the upstairs area and in uh, verse 22 have you entered the treasury of snow or have you seen the treasury of hail so as we're talking about what seems to be the firmament we now go into have you entered the treasury of snow we all know this is God speaking here on this one Mm -hmm. or have you seen the treasury of hail so he's actually saying that when the snow falls it's because I have a storehouse of it Mm -hmm. (laughs) now I have a storehouse of it as well when I have reserved for, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war, by what way is light diffused, or the east wind scattered over the earth? Who has divided a channel, for the overflowing water, or a path for the thunderbolt, to cause it to rain on a land where there is no no one, a wilderness in which there is no man, to satisfy the desolate waste and cause to spring forth the growth of tender grass? Has the the rain a father, or who has begotten the drops of dew? For Whose womb comes the ice and the frost of the heaven? Who gives its birth and waters hardened like stone and the surface of the deep is frozen? So that's the book of Job. And of course, Job is the oldest book. Exactly how old it is. I've heard a number of different things and it could be before the days of Noah. It could be after the days of Noah. But we know that he talks about, about rain in his, his time. So the flood comes. Changes the entire earth and now we're going to see the length of man's days become shortened and things on the earth are going to be be changed. But all of that former race is now wiped out. It is gone. And man is going to start over again. Now all descendants, every person that is on the face of the earth comes from Noah and his wife. They really are the father of the world that we know now. Even though Adam is the ultimate father, goes on, on back even further. And certainly Noah and his wife were descendants of, of Adam and Eve. But Noah and his wife are the ones who gave birth to all the different races, all the different generations that we have that are alive right now. And uh, we'll see them in the time to come. There are places that you can you can go and see the breakup of the descendants of Seth, Ham, all of them, where they all went to, where they are. And we'll probably try, try and throw that map up there on the screen for you to, to get a chance to see all that. But this is where the races were created. They came out of this group. They did not come out of Cain and Abel, as we talked about before. But they came out of this one and they all just began to to, uh, change in different ways. But they all came from one family. That one family, whatever color they were, (laughs) they were all the same color. But um, somehow they they changed from there. And again, we don't know if they were darker, lighter, moderate, moderate, no idea. I, I think more. There's more people who probably um, say, for that area of the world, they should be at least um, moderately colored, not uh, not white, maybe not, a, maybe not a real dark, but they they probably had something doing there, and uh, everything else came from there. How God did that, I don't know. That isn't important, but He did it somehow, and glory to God. But we're all come from the same that's why no man is greater than another we all have our roots we all share, share the exact same heritage and God preserved the race of men by wiping out all the others that were, uh, that were false and he will have to wipe out the giants again but he'll do it in a little different way well Father we thank you for the great plan that you have on the face of the earth that however it is that you brought about that plan for the flood whether it was by a great comet or some other way planning that it took, took a God like You. We thank You, Father, that You brought it all about. And we thank You for the love that You have, that You even allowed the flood to kill some of those who may have loved You and served You for the good to come through Jesus Christ. We thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.